are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk about last night's Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Heat and the Celtics. Look ahead to Game 2 tonight, Nuggets and Lakers in Denver. Also going to talk a little college football and mix in a little baseball for you as well. And we will get to that momentarily. So I'm pretty much just going to throw up my arms from now on. Or actually, I'm not even going to throw up my arms. I'm just going to change my tune when it comes to the Miami Heat. Because my tune has been, I don't know how they're doing this. After last night, I know how they're doing this. They're just a good team. For whatever reason, maybe they were saving themselves for the playoffs. Maybe during the regular season, they didn't care. They didn't try. It wasn't a big deal to them where they finished because they know they are a good veteran playoff team. They did it again last night. (laughs) They go into Boston, win 123-116, but that really isn't the story. This is a team that was down by nine at halftime and then dropped 46 points in the third quarter. They outscored Boston 46-25 to in the third quarter. And by the way, during that third quarter, getting outscored 46-25, to the Boston Celtics never called one timeout. <laughs> That's just bad coaching. I'm sorry. I don't know the runs that Miami was on, but considering they outscored you by 21 points in the quarter in a 12-minute span... At some point, there had to have been a 7-9 to to 10-point run, and you never call a timeout giving up almost 50 points in a quarter. Joe Mazzula is getting all the criticism that he's gotten this postseason, and it's well-deserved. You know, he is a first-year head coach, and the Miami Heat have arguably the best coach in the NBA in Eric Spolstra because what he does with that team year in and year out is pretty amazing. He does have a superstar in Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler is a superstar. In case you didn't know this, this stat came down last night. Jimmy Butler has scored over 35 points in 13 playoff games since 2020. No other player has done that. Playoff Jimmy, as Reggie Miller said last night numerous times, is a real thing. Again, he drops 35 last night on 12 of 25 shooting, 9 of 10 from the free throw line, threw in 7 assists, and six steals, he's just, you can't, we can't say, oh, wow, Jimmy Butler had another good game. It's like, we have to expect this from him. Two of the last three years, these teams have met in the Eastern Conference Finals. In the bubble, Miami beat Boston. Last year, Miami had home court advantage and lost in Game 7 at home to Boston. Why they were a minus 550 to win this series is totally beyond me. Last year, going into the Eastern Conference Finals, Boston was minus 160 to win that series. This year, they're minus 550 before last night's game. Obviously, it's dropped. Boston, minus 550 to win this series. Last year, Boston was minus 160, and they didn't have home court advantage. This year, they have it. Yeah, you'd expect it to be a little bit higher, but minus 550? Before the series started, and if you look at it, and I'm not even taking last game, last night's game into consideration. If you look at it, let's be honest. Boston isn't as good as they were last year, and Miami is basically the same. And Miami took them to seven games and lost because Jimmy Butler missed a three 
with under 10 seconds left in Game 7. Or else Miami could have been going to the finals against the Golden State Warriors last year. This is just a good team. There's no other way around it. It's not like they're getting lucky. They just get contributions from everywhere. They get 30 points off their bench from Kyle Lowry and Caleb Martin. I mean, everybody outside of Kevin Love, everybody that basically stepped on the floor floor last night and played significant minutes scored in double figures. Four guys had 15 points, one guy had 20, and one guy had 35. Gosh, I'm, you know, I'm one of these guys that loves numbers, and I love when things just look nice when it comes to numbers. Miami Heat had seven guys that scored last night. They had 35, 20, 15, 15, 15, 15, 8. Ugh, I would have loved if Kevin Love had 10 points last night. That everybody, that everybody scoring total ended in either a 5 or a 0. <laughs> I'm sorry, this, this is the kind of stuff I just absolutely love. But 6 out of your 7 scores, having scoring totals that end in a 5 or a 0, that's good enough for me. Boston, blech. 30 points, 14, 13, 22, 19, 11. Yeah, that doesn't excite me. Sorry. But Miami last night hit 16 three-pointers, 16 of 31, 51%. Boston, which is basically a 40% three-point shooting team, shot 34.5% last night from three, 10 of 29. I mean, you can talk about this series until you're blue in the face and you try and break it down or whatever. I just think Miami gets revenge from last year. I think Miami wins this series. And I should have said that before last night because them winning game one in Boston and now having three games at home and already stealing a game on the road, you're like, wow, we're really going out on a limb there, Steve. No, I I really felt like when I saw my when I saw Boston as a minus five fifty favorite, I said, That's absolutely insane. They are not that much better than the Heat. They've shown it. Have you seen the numbers just in this postseason? Look at the four teams that are left this postseason. Denver's 9-3, and three, and they're 8-0 at home. Miami is 9-3. and three. They're 6-0 and oh at home. Lakers are 8-5. and five. They're 6-0 and oh at home. Boston is 8-6, and six, and they're 4-4 four and four at home. And now 11-11, and 11, their last 22 playoff home games. So, again... Boston Celtics home court advantage means absolutely nothing. They're a 500 team at home for the last 22 playoff games. And every other team in the playoffs hasn't lost a home game. So, yes, doesn't mean it's going to continue because I do think the Lakers are going to win one game in Denver, and I do think Boston will probably win a game in Miami. But this series, Boston and Miami, has seven games written all over it again. Last year, game seven was in Miami. Boston won. I think Miami can win a game seven in Boston this year. This is basically just going to come down to if the Heat. I mean, the Heat have played better all playoffs than Boston, and I don't even think it's close. Boston stepped up and rose to the occasion when they needed to win game six in Philly and then came home and blew Philly out of the building in game seven. But overall, since the playoffs started, Miami has played way better, way better. Record-wise, 9-3. and three. Versus the Celtics, eight and six. Celtics had to go to six games with the Atlanta Hawks, who were terrible. Celtics had a 
2-2 game, a 2-2 series with Philly coming home, and they lose game five and already dropping another game at home. It's just they're not playing well, and they're not nearly as good as they were last year. Last year they were a defensive juggernaut. This year they can't stop anybody. And Miami, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I don't understand what happened to them during the regular season because it's not like they had a ton of injuries. And during the regular season they had Tyler Hero, one of the best shooters in the league. He's literally been hurt since game one of the playoffs, and Miami is putting up 115 points a game. It makes no sense other than they're really good, everybody's underestimated them all year, and they've got literally the best coach in all the NBA in Eric Spolstra in terms of what he gets out of his teams. How can you argue with that? How can you argue with what Miami Heat has done in the playoffs? Nine and three for an eight seed? I don't care if Giannis was hurt for two and a half games. Everybody thought, even after they got by Milwaukee, oh, Giannis was hurt for two and a half games. The Knicks are going to handle them. The Knicks are much better. Miami embarrassed the Knicks. That series was six games. They embarrassed the Knicks. They're just good. Flat out good. They shouldn't surprise anybody. The eight next to their name in the box score means absolutely nothing. 44 and 38 during the regular season, you know, barely over 500. They lost, they won 13 less games than the Celtics, and it doesn't matter because it matters what happens come nut cutting time. And we're in nut cutting time. This is the playoffs. Miami is very familiar with Boston. They've played each other in the Eastern Conference Finals two of the last three years. Nothing Boston does is going to surprise Miami, and nothing Miami does is going to surprise Boston. These teams are so familiar with each other. It's going to come down to who executes the best and who gets hot from three-point range. Miami won last night because they hit six more three-pointers than Boston did because free throws I don't think were really all that different. Boston made seven more but shot and shot ten more. But defensive rebounds, ultimately the same. Overall rebounds, pretty much the same. Assists, pretty much the same. Miami did have twelve, uh, six, uh, six more steals than Boston. But fouls, Miami had four more fouls than Boston. So it wasn't like Boston was, you know, Miami was getting the benefit of the doubt on calls. They came out from a nine-point deficit and dropped 46 on you on your home court in the third quarter. You're not going to win many games that way. So game two, Friday night, clearly Boston has to win game two. And what have we said? Remember I told you last series, I said every team that's lost, every home team that's lost game one in an NBA playoff series has won game two and covered this postseason. So if you're betting, the Celtics are the bet in game two. You just have to blindly bet it. After everything I just said and praise the Miami Heat, you just have to blindly bet it. One, Boston doesn't want to go behind two games to none. And two, the statistics bear it out. The home team losing game one has absolutely come back and not only won and covered game two, they've won by double digits every single game. So keep that in mind for game two. Lakers Nuggets game two tonight in Denver. Clearly the Lakers need to win this game. It's not over if they don't win it. And this goes back to what I talked about last week, that you know, one of my pet peeves is, hey, if they fall behind 2-0, the other team has to win four of the next five to win the series. Yeah, that's the way it's always been. That would make more sense if at the beginning of the Lakers-Nuggets series, or at the beginning of any series, it was supposed to be 
best to best out of 11. First team to win six games in a best of 11 series. And after the first game, the league stepped in and said, nope, we're going to a seven-game series. Then coming in and saying, oh, shit, if you lose game two, now you have to win four of the next five. Every single seven-game series in every sport, hockey, basketball, baseball, every single seven-game series, if someone loses the first two games, you have to win four of the next five to win the series. Like This should not be something that anybody should use as a talking point ever. Ever. Because it's not news. We already know this going into every series. <laughs> it just oh, drives me up a wall. It would only be news if the series was supposed to be longer and the league cut it down to seven games after the series has started, which we know could would never happen in a million years. But that's the only right way you would say and use as a talking point, oh, my gosh, if they lose tonight, they're down 2-0. They have to win four of the next five. Yeah. It's happened numerous times. It's happened, I don't want to say numerous, I don't know the number, but we all know teams that have fallen behind 2-0 you can come back and win the series. It's not that far-fetched. Plenty, plenty have done it. So with that said, the Lakers obviously want to win tonight. You want to win every game you play in the playoffs. This is, like I told you yesterday, this is going to be a chess match. How do the Lakers come out? Do they start Rui Hachimura and put either Dennis Schroeder or D'Angelo Russell on the bench? I don't think they bench Russell. I could see them going and starting Hachimura because Denver is so much bigger. And then you've got a front line now of LeBron, AD, and Hachimura with D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves in the backcourt. I think that would probably be best. But we talked about the switch up. We talked about how when Rui Hachimura was on Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jokic only had two points and two rebounds and two turnovers, and both of his points were on free throws. He never made a basket when Rui Hachimura was guarding him, but he only guarded him for 15 possessions. But they did struggle. So clearly Denver's going to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, if they come out with Rui on Nikola, this is what we're going to do. And then the Lakers are going to have to adjust to that. But I don't think the Lakers are just going to be like, oh, it worked at the end of the game and in the fourth quarter putting Rui on Nikola. Let's just keep him on there. The Lakers are going to switch off between Rui and AD on Jokic. They have to. You have to mix up your defenses. You have to keep them guessing. Because if you do the same thing every time down the court, inevitably they're going to figure it out, especially a two-time MVP who's one of the best passing centers, if not the best passing center in the history of the NBA. Lakers need production from their bench. They need production from their role players. As I've always said, you expect your role players to play well at home. It's when they play well on the road is when you can pull out those road victories, and they need their role players to play well. LeBron and AD did LeBron and AD things in game one, and they kept it close. But to expect a 40-10 and 10 game again out of AD 48 hours later, you're asking a lot. To expect LeBron to put up a close-to triple-double like he did in game one, where he missed it by one rebound or one assist, you're asking a lot of a 38-year-old guy who's played 60,000 minutes in his career coming off one-day rest. So they need more production. Rui was the only guy off the bench for the Lakers who played well and scored well. They need more production from their role players. And the biggest thing is 
you can't give up 72 points in the first half. You don't want to come out and play like they did in the first half of Tuesday night's game because that's, in my eyes, what lost them the game. Had too far to come back from. Almost did it. Wasn't successful. But you watch that first half again. The Lakers were a step slow. Denver was feeding off their home crowd. And the Lakers did nothing to combat it. They just, they never had a good defensive uh, stand. They could never go three or four minutes of holding Denver scoreless. And you need that type of stuff to win on the road. You got to have a, you know, a 14-2 run. You want to do this in the first half. You don't necessarily have to be leading at the end of the first half, but you don't want to be down 18. Keep it close. I think both teams have no problem scoring against the other. Denver's never been a good defensive team, and the Lakers pride themselves on defense. They're the best defensive team in the playoffs that are left. And you can't give up 72 points and 132 points overall and expect to win. Now, they need to hold Denver to – I'll say this. If the Lakers can hold Denver to between 110 and 115 tonight, I think they win. Closer to 110 would be nice, but anything from 116 and over, I think Denver wins tonight. Lakers have to do a better defensive job overall and on Jokic. Jokic can't go for 34, 21, and 14 again. That's too many. Unless the Lakers' strategy, which I don't think it's going to be their strategy. It's possible, but I don't think it's going to be. Unless the Lakers say, you know what? Let's let Jokic get his. We'll wear him out. We'll let him score and rebound all he wants. But let's cut down his assists, and let's cut down the fact that he's getting everybody else on his team good shots. Let's just concentrate on Jokic. Let's play him straight up. Let's never double-team him, and we don't care if he gets 35, 40, 45. We don't give a shit. Hell, he could get 50. We don't care. We don't want three or four other guys going off like they did the other night when Jamal Murray had 30 and KCP had 21. Those guys get held to under 20 or around 20. Lakers will be in good shape. So my prediction, Lakers win tonight. I'm not going to predict a score, but I think the Lakers win. And to win, I think they need to hold Denver to under 115 points. Looking forward to it. Game two tonight. Be on the lookout. Finally going to wrap up with this. Someone asked me this question in regards to college football in an email yesterday. Steve, you have any thoughts on the ACC realignment threats talks this week on the heels of the SEC, Big Ten, etc.? Well, from everything that I've read in regards to this, of the 14 teams in the ACC, basically the top seven, the bigger seven names, which is off the top of my head, Clemson, Florida State, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Miami, and I'm missing somebody. Oh, wait, that's that's only five. Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Oh, North Carolina and Louisville are basically openly saying they're looking to move. And the problem is... There's a contract, a television contract that locks the ACC into ESPN until like 2036. So right now, I guess everyone's scrambling to find some sort of loophole to get them out of it, or they're going to have to pay an exorbitant amount of money to get out of the ACC, 
which maybe some teams are willing to do. But it's basically the top seven against the bottom seven. Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, Miami, North Carolina, Virginia and Virginia Tech versus Boston College, Duke, Georgia Tech, NC State, Pitt, Syracuse, and Wake Forest. If it happens, it's not happening before this season. And from everything that I read, it looks like it's going to be very tough to get out from under this television contract that locks them in to ESPN for another 10, 12 years. But can it happen if they're willing to pay a shit ton of money? I think so. But it's just not going to be easy for Florida State or Clemson or Miami to just say, like, no, we're going to the SEC. It's going to be messy because I'm sure if they want to leave and they try and leave, the ACC will probably try and sue them. And then it's it's just going to be very messy. It's not going to be as easy as SC and UCLA leaving to go to the Big Ten and as Oklahoma and Texas leaving to go to the SEC. I don't know all the particulars about it, but after I got that email yesterday, I read up on it and it looks a little bit messy and looks to be a little bit tougher. But ultimately, I talked about this probably last year, maybe at the beginning of this year. Ultimately, we are headed towards a complete reconfiguration of college football conferences and how college football is governed. It's coming within the next five years. The big five conferences are basically going to turn into probably the big two. There's going to be a there's going to be it might even, not even big two conference. It might even just be the top 64 programs in college football are going to form their own. Basically, the top five conferences are going to form their own league. And then the the AAC conference, the MAC, the Mountain West, Conference USA, the Sun Belt, and the Independence are going to be a second college football division. You know, there's still so many things that need to be worked out, but you listen to and talk to anybody who knows what's going on in college football, considering the Big Ten and the SEC have these giant television contracts, that's why all these teams want to go there. They want a piece of that pie because those contracts, television contracts, are so much bigger than what the ACC has, what the Pac-12 has, and what the Big 12 has. But inevitably and eventually, I think every team in ACC, Pac-12, Big 12, SEC, and Big 10 will all be one division of college football, and then everyone else is going to be the also-rans, and they're going to be another division. I don't know what they're going to call themselves. I don't know how the playoffs going to work. If a team from that smaller group, you know, the Independents, Sunbelt, Conference USA, when they all get together, AAC, Mountain West, when they all get together and have their own division, can one of those teams play against one of the teams in the Big Five or whatever you want to call it? I, I mean, there's so much still to be worked out, but it's definitely happening because college football is too much of a big money maker, and unfortunately for the smaller ones out there, it's just not going to happen for them. They're not going to be basically invited to the party. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. 
Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. Much appreciated. Tell your friends all about this podcast. Pass it along to them. Thank you for listening. Please tune in tomorrow. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!